Do you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word and what... Uh... You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. This is, Lord, uh, we believe that it's true and that what we come to today is your very word. And so, God, we ask you to help us to grasp the depths of, of this event, God, and what you have done and, what, and who you are. God, help us to see the glory of the gospel of Christ on our behalf and what you're calling us to. Most of all, God, we ask for your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that you would come Rise up within us, God, our counselor, and, and help us to understand. Open the eyes of our hearts and overwhelm us with the glory of the living God in Christ. And Lord, help us to obey you, whatever that means for us this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. All right, obviously that is a very heavy, heavy passage, amen? If you're uh, visiting this morning, sometimes people die in church, so thank you for coming. Um, (laughs) We talk about being like the Acts Church, have you ever heard that? It's kind of a, for a while, at least for the last 10 years or so that I've been in ministry in the church. It's kind of been like a a sexy thing, like whatever we've been doing for the last, you know, 2,000 years or 100 years or 200 years, we're going to get back to the book of Acts. We want to be like the Acts church. And usually what we mean by that is we want to be one, united, sharing our possessions, live this radical community that we see in here, hearing from the pure teaching of the word of God, um, you know, praying and singing songs to God and spirit and in truth, the spiritual experience and all these things. And, uh, and you don't ever hear a lot about like people dying in church, you know? Like people died because of that. Because the Holy Spirit was so, uh, so near to them, because there was so much power coming from God, that it was these amazing things were issuing forth, but there was also tragedy happening because when God is near... God is holy, that means he's perfect. He can't, he can't be near sin. Sin cannot be in his presence. So you see things like this happen. And so we need to take all of that into account when we talk about wanting to be the church that God has desired us to be. So if you were here last week, Royce talked a little bit about the passage right before this. And what happened is um, the apostles were facing persecution. And so the Christians gathered and they prayed to God. They prayed this beautiful prayer And basically what they asked him for, if you read these verses from verses 23 to 31 in chapter 4, if you have your Bibles open, the main gist of their prayer was, God, help us to be bold. Help us to preach the word of God boldly. That was the gist of their prayer. Uh, If you look in verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. It's interesting they didn't ask for him to protect them or to take the persecutors away. 
They asked, help us to continue to do what they're trying to kill us for with even more boldness. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and perform through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Here's what happened right after they prayed. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. First thing I want to just make a quick observation here, and um, Royce touched on it a little bit last week. What happened after their prayer was they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit of God. Did they ask anywhere in that prayer for God to fill them with their Spirit? Just an observation. They didn't say, God, fill us with your spirit so we, can, so we can do these things. They said, God, help us help us to preach your word boldly. And God responded, and he filled them with, with, their, with his spirit. So they're filled with the spirit of God. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, maybe this is just me because I was raised in a Christian home. And so I, am, I will admit I'm a little clueless in some, some things. I've been in the church a long time. I've seen a lot of things. But to me, and tell me if you agree with this, when you think of being filled with the Spirit, you think of like Pentecostal. Have you heard that word? How many people have heard the word Pentecostal? Like, oh, Pentecostal churches. They're filled with the Spirit. That's their deal. They're filled with the Spirit, right? Uh, They do crazy things like speak in tongues. You know, I speak with my tongue too, but apparently they speak something different. They speak in these tongues. Have you guys ever witnessed that or seen that? It's, and that happens because, I'm not saying it's wrong. Please don't hear that from me. <laughs> I, I believe that does happen today. They speak in tongues, and, and so that's, that's what happens when they're filled with the Spirit. Or sometimes you see them, like, rolling around on the ground or doing all, because the Spirit's just taken over their body. I'm not saying those things don't happen. If, if you're filled with the Spirit and you roll around on the floor, that's great. You know, I'm glad for that. But you don't hear a lot about being filled with the Spirit means that you preach the Word of God boldly, do you? Like you do evangelism. You do hardcore evangelism. You see someone out there just boldly talking about Jesus with someone. And we don't say, oh, that's because they're filled with the Spirit. We say, oh, that's because they're very bold and that's their personality. And they have the gift of evangelism. But when someone's doing something like speaking in tongues or, or they have their hands raised and they're, you know, all these things, that, that's filled with the Spirit. We don't think about obedience to God's Word as being filled with the Spirit. Wow, that church is really obeying. Like, when, when I look at that church, they're actually, like, selling their— they're actually living more simply and selling stuff and giving it to the poor. When someone has a need, they're actually, like, sacrificing something and taking care of them. Would, would, you, would you say naturally, well, that's because they're obviously because they're filled with the Spirit. No, we'd say that's because they've decided they're going to obey God's Word. I want to open our, our minds a little bit here, and again, this might just be me. Well, we don't often think about that, but when you look in Scripture, especially in this passage, it says they were filled, and I mean they were filled to a high, high degree with the Spirit of the living God and what issued out of them. It's like God took their body and just took it over for a while in the church. And there's two things that you see happening. It's right here. Two things. They speak the Word of God boldly. Um, It says in passage we're looking at today in 33, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And you also see them sharing all of their possessions. Here's what it says in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were one in heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And 
having everything in common, that phrase, doesn't mean they were like, oh, you like the organ ducks too? No way. That's crazy. We all like the organ ducks in here. Like, let's praise God. Like, not that kind of everything in common we normally think of. It means that they shared everything that they had. Like, if I need something and you've got it, you get, I, I take it. It's mine now. I'm going to take care of you. Some have more, some have less, and we balance it all out. This is a beautiful thing because if you look at the globe today, we have extreme poverty around the world. But there's more than enough resources for everyone to have plenty, plenty of food, plenty of clean water, all these things. What the real problem is is that we don't know how to have everything in common as, a, as the human race. And so some of us have tons, tons and tons, and some have nothing, and we can't find a way to bridge that gap. People were selling their, they were selling their properties, it says. Um, the only people that would own property was a very, very small percentage of the people in Jerusalem in the Roman Empire. Very, very small percentage had enough money to buy. Like, we're talking like 7% of the people could actually buy property. These were the rich. Everyone else was extreme poverty. There wasn't like middle class. There was rich, there was poor. So that was huge for these believers to, to sell what they had to take that money and to, and to give it to take care of others in the body. So you see these two things happening. And I want you to, under, I want you to uh, notice one more thing too. Is that it doesn't say they were filled with the Spirit and these two things happened. They grew in their knowledge of the theology of God. Like their Christology was just like through the roof. Uh, they understood Calvinism to the depths that no one could believe, even though Calvin wasn't born yet. I don't know what they did for like, you know, 1,500 years before that, but that's another question. I'm not against Calvinism. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm going to shut up now. So, so it's not saying that they just had this amazing theology. Like God was just opening their minds to understand like all of these things about, about him and about the Bible and put it all together. It doesn't say that they were more united than anyone they were so united that, like, they had such love for each other that all of them were filled to the brim with this fuzzy, overflowing feeling of love. They didn't—no one was annoyed with anyone else. When they thought about each other, they just, like, smiled. Just—they were so just in love with each other. It doesn't say that either. The two things that it says happened from the filling of the Spirit were acts of obedience. So think about it. The first thing is they— shared the word of God boldly. They shared the gospel. That means they opened their mouths and they spoke and they articulated the gospel of Christ to people who didn't know him, which is not easy to do. Maybe for some of you it is. It's not easy for me to do that. But they did it and they were doing it, it says. Second thing is, it says, they were one in heart and soul. It says they were selling, they were actually sacrificing what they had, the stuff that they had, and then giving it over. Think of something precious that you have that you love. I can think of a few things, and they all involve musical instruments and microphones. You can ask my wife. That's my weakness. I love my, my musical stuff. It costs a lot of money. To sell that, just go, you know what? God will provide. It's not, it's not mine. I'm going to give it. I'm going to sell it and give that money to some people at Red Sea that I need. Think about that just for a second. I want you to just get serious for me for a minute because we talk about this stuff all the time in church, and then we're like, yep, that's correct, Billy. Thank you for preaching correct theology to me. I approve. We'll see you next week. Okay. What if there was a huge need in the church right now among all of us, and you were like, oh, that's how much they need? That's about what my guitar costs. How many of you would actually consider going home, selling that on eBay, taking the money, bringing it, 
and just being like, here you go. Like, pay, here's, here's your rent. God bless you. C- can I just, like, have an honest show of hands if that would be hard for you to do? Like, I'm raising mine. It's okay if it isn't. You might be more spiritual than me. That would be hard for me to do. Like, that's where it gets down to the nitty-gritty. That's what they were doing here. They were selling their property, their homes. I love this line in the first verse. It says, no one said, verse 32, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. So when you're filled with the Spirit, how many would love for all of us to be filled with the Spirit of God in this place, in Red Sea Church, just see amazing things happen? All right, I got a hand. Two. Do I hear three? Yeah, we have three, four. Going once. Okay. Just for us to be filled with the Spirit, just be, I don't know what's going on, but I am just like, I love my brothers and sisters. I'm weeping over this city, man. I'm weeping over my neighbors. I want them to know about Jesus. We just started telling them about Jesus. Well, the first thing is we have to obey. And the heart of what that is, it says, no one said any of the things were their own. Here's what happens when you begin to believe the gospel of Christ, that he died for my sins and was raised on the third day, and that I can be forgiven and have life in him. You're filled, and then God's spirit comes and lives inside of you, and his grace comes upon you. You're filled with the grace of God. The first thing that, one of the things that should begin to happen is, none of the things that I have are my own. You begin to understand that and feel that. It's all God's. Like, I don't really own anything that I have. That's the gospel. The only reason I'm alive and have anything is because God saved me and allows me to exist. He provides all of these things for me. And so we begin to wrap our minds around that. Um, the book of Luke and Acts, we just went through Luke, are one book. They're separated in your Bibles. They're actually, it's just one big book that Luke wrote. One of the major themes of Acts is giving to the poor. Just a cursory reading of Acts, you'll see that over and over and over again. Jesus is like, sell your possessions, give them to the poor. What should I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. The poor will inherit the earth. Poor, 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 poor. It's this... It's this loosening of, this is my stuff, and opening our hands and sharing and having everything in common. It's this beautiful thing. And that's what we're seeing here happening to the believers. It's one of the major things that's, ha- that's happening in this early time in the church when they're so filled with God. Is they're letting go of what they have and saying, it's not mine, it's yours. It says that they shared the gospel and that great grace was upon them all. The grace of God, grace just means undeserved favor, the simplest definition. Undeserved favor. God just looks down and says, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give you my favor. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to empower you to do these things. It was upon them. Grace was upon them. It says in verse 34, there was not, there was not a needy person among them. That's like, if you're a pastor of a church, like that's the dream. There's no needy people in this church. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now I can spend some time in prayer and reading my word, and we're going to get some stuff done. But why was there no needy people? Because the church took care of everybody, not pastor needs to meet with everybody. This is how it's been the last few decades. Pastor needs to meet with everybody. The pastor needs to decide and cut a check for everybody. All these kind of things. What if, just, what if you guys just took care of each other because you loved each other? That'd just be amazing. No one would be in need. And I jumped in that too. And Royce and Josh jumped into that. And you guys helped take care of us. All that started to happen. We're taking care of each other. There were no needy people among them. That's why they were so hardcore, able to be on mission. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is beautiful too. Just notice something quick in here. 
is what did they do with the proceeds when they bought them? Did they walk in and go, okay, here's where I'd like my money to go. There's a couple needs over here. I like these people. I think that's a real need. They just laid it at the feet of the apostles. We're like, here you go. And they walked away. And then the apostles, I would imagine, prayerfully discerned where the money should go and distributed it. But the key here is that the people let go of it. It's not mine. I don't get to decide where it goes. I just know that God's calling me to give this up and to give this money toward the needs of the church, and here it is. Think about that, whatever you do, and like tithing and giving to the poor, giving to organizations, anything that goes toward the work of God. Do we want to know where it goes? Do we want to have control over that money? Are we just releasing it and trusting to the work of God? This is, what, this is how they were rolling. This is what's happening here. Then in verse 36, it hones in on one character. And we're going to look at this guy and then another couple and contrast the two because there's a direct contrast between them. First guy's name is Joseph, verse 36. Thus, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's what his name means. They called him Barnabas. We're going to see as we go through the book of Acts, Barnabas is lives up to his name. He's an encourager. He encourages Paul when no one else was. Some other guys. It's, we're going to watch that as we walk through this. But they call him Barnabas. He's a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's the character of Barnabas. For some reason, he stood out and they wrote about him. For some reason, he set an example that stood out to the church. He was probably pretty wealthy. It was probably amazing that he went and sold all of this and just brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He's an example of what was happening in this church, that God is transforming someone's life so much that he's just like, I don't even care about my house anymore. I don't care about my property. All I care about is the kingdom of God and that people come to know him and spreading the gospel of Christ, no matter what it costs. Sell it all. Here it is. And people noticed. Then we have someone else we're introduced to, chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife knowledge, wife's knowledge, he kept, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he did what everybody else was doing, sold his property, took the money, but he decided, you know what, I'm going to keep some of this for myself, but I'll lay the rest. We don't know how much it was. Maybe it was like 75% of it, 50% of it, 40 Does that sound so bad to you guys? I mean, I'm sure there were people who probably weren't selling anything. He sells, he at least gives some. What was the problem with it? Verse 3, But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Here's the key, verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So what Peter is saying, and this is a key insight into the church, the apostles weren't demanding that everybody to become a member, you have to sell your property and lay the money at their feet. Peter's saying, hey, before you sold it, wasn't it yours? You could have just kept it. And when you did sell it, wasn't the money at your disposal? Couldn't you have done whatever you wanted with it? Maybe you want to give some, maybe not. Right? That's what he's saying. But, he, but the key is, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Peter says that he lied 
to the Holy Spirit. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart, he says? You have not lied to men, but to God. Later, verse 7, we'll jump ahead for a second. An interval of about an hour, three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter says to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? So Ananias and Sapphira, what we're seeing a key insight here is that they decided that they wanted to do what everybody else was doing. And, you know, this is what happens in the church is something starts as a good thing, and then it becomes, wow, this is really cool, and you see the power of God working, and then it becomes this, like, sexy thing, right? It's like, this is what you do. This is the cool thing. I Just in little ways, I remember this growing up when all of a sudden it became really spiritual to raise your hands in worship. Close your eyes. I was raised in these Baptist churches in the era when that wasn't happening as much. Maybe like the 70s kind of started happening with some church movements that people began to try to be more intimate with God in a gathering, to close their eyes, to raise their hands, to, to bow down and do all these things. Before it was just like you stand there like this with your hymn book and, and you always sing verse 1, 2. 1, 2, and then 4 is the last. Do you guys remember that? You ever sing verse 3? Anybody grow up in conservative churches? Okay. What's the deal with that? Um, so I always try to make sure I sing verse 3 in songs. Um, that's what I grew up in, right? Then all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is cool. People are raising their hands, closing their eyes. But then as I started engaging in that and it was beautiful, you start to notice that there's people. I know this because I, have fr- I had friends in the church. It kind of becomes sexy. It's like there's almost like this, there's a certain way you raise your hands, right? You do it, you do it like this, a certain way, and, and that looks really spiritual. And you, you can tell there's people that that's the sexy thing to do. Like that's what's cool now is you do this in church. Guys, it, are you with me? Has anybody experienced that? That's just one example. Maybe like giving, all of a sudden everybody's like supporting a child through Rwanda. And, and it's just like, wow, this is awesome. God's working. We're supporting all these children. Now it's just like, man, if you want to be cool in this church, then you need to support a child. And so you start doing that. So you're doing these spiritual things, these things that honor God for completely selfish reasons. I mean, it literally is one of the biggest tragedies I could possibly think of. Is that you're actually seeking to obey God who you believe in, you know, is real for selfish reasons so you can gain recognition before people. I mean, just stop and think about that for a second. I have done it. And it didn't seem as horrible to me when I was doing it. Humility becomes really cool to be humble. Like, I want to be really humble, and I want people to see that I'm humble. Like, one of the sexy social things right now is is, um, social justice, like providing for the poor. Like, it's actually become cool, you know, to be green. It's become cool to take, to ca- take care of the poor. And so people do this, like, literally to be cool. Like, I want people to see that I am humble and that I'm giving to the poor. And they, they're Christians that do it. I felt that to a certain degree at times. This is what I believe is going on here, maybe to a greater magnitude, is that people are selling their possessions. I just sold everything I had. I'm laying the money at the apostles' feet. Like, this is a major sacrificial act that I've done. And everyone's just like, whoa, dude, that's crazy. Wow, I want to do that too. That's contagious. But there were two people who said, we want to do that too because we don't want everybody to look at us and go, why aren't they selling their possessions? We want to be a part of get in on this. But when they sold it and they got the money, they said, you know what? I can't part with all of this. Like, I want to keep some for myself. 
Now, again, is that necessarily bad? I don't think so. I think you decide in your heart what God desires for you to give, and you give. Some people, it's going to be all of it, some partial. What was their sin? Is that they lied about it, right? They brought it and said, hey, here's everything. Here's all of our money. God, just use it to your glory. And at home, they got a stash, right? That's what they did. They told a lie about it because they wanted to please people, and they wanted people to think they were as spiritual as everyone else, but they really weren't. So Peter's words are, you have lied not to men, but to God. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. Notice that the Holy Spirit is a person that you can lie to, and he's offended, and Peter calls him God. That's where we get the Trinity from. The Holy Spirit is God. When you lie to the Holy Spirit, you lie to God. It says that Satan has filled his heart with deceit. This is amazing because Satan and the Holy Spirit are working in the church right now. We forget this. We just look at what we can see. The Holy Spirit is here right now. He actually cares about what's going on. Satan is, is here too. He doesn't like what's going on. And what he wants to do is break up the unity, and that's exactly what he did here. You notice that? It's beautiful passage right before this. You're just like, man, it's like happily ever after. Neverland. And then these two people screw it up. How does God handle this? Verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And Sapphira comes in. She is exposed with a lie. Peter says to her in verse 9, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Okay. The first thing I just want to notice about this, I mean, all I can say is, wow, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, I don't, I, part of me doesn't even really know where to go with this. Check out what's happening here. They don't even, they're not even offered a chance to repent. Did you get that? Peter asks him. He, he sticks to his lie and immediately drops down dead. Not, hey, do you feel bad about what you've done? Would you like to come forward and repent and take communion? I want to extend that to you. I want to extend that to your wife. You notice that? Immediately, God's just like, boom, you're dead. Like immediate judgment. Do you notice the harshness of the judgment? They died. Do you notice the time period that this is happening in? After Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Does that bother anyone? Don't we tend to think like, yeah, people died in the Old Testament. That's hard enough to deal with, but that was the Old Testament. Now that Jesus died on the cross, God's not mad at us anymore. And so he just lets us do whatever we want, and we're all forgiven. Right? They die. It's like, boom. God judges. First thing we learn from this is, in the New Testament era that we are living in, God still judges people, and he judges them harshly. And in this passage, he actually kills people. And what is the result of this? In the last passage, it says grace came upon them all. In this passage, it says in verse 6, or verse 5, and great fear 
came upon all who heard of it. And then he says it again in verse 11, 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So this is the point I think we can take from this today. Is number one, God takes sin very seriously. Does he kill people today? I haven't seen it happen in my lifetime. I've never seen someone drop dead in the middle of church as an obvious judgment of God, but it happened here. And just because it was so harsh here that he shows us grace now doesn't mean that he's not looking at sin the same way. It doesn't mean that he's not just as serious about it. It doesn't mean that his judgment is looking upon it. First thing I want to make clear is when Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, one of the things that he was taking for sinful humanity was the judgment of God upon himself. So the wrath of God on sin was poured out on Jesus for us. He took that in my place. That should be me right there. He stepped in and took it. I respond in faith, and that's taken away. Okay? But that doesn't mean that God's not so serious about our sin. I just want to show you two passages as we get ready to take communion. Um, The first one's in the book of Hebrews. It sheds some light on this for us. Hebrews chapter 10. Be great to read uh, when you get home. It's just an amazing passage. But he says this. He's talking about meeting together. Let us not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us meet together in unity because of what Christ has done. Verse 26, he says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of God. Now, this is a highly debated passage, controversial. Don't Christ sins sacrifice on the cross cover all of our sins? He says if you sin deliberately, there no longer means a sacrifice. What does he mean there? I'm not going to cover that here. You can go home and study that for yourself. What I want to take from this is this. God is scary. And that God wants you to be scared. I don't know how else to say it. The word fear that's used in this passage is the word phobos in Greek. We get the word phobia from it. We love to say this in church. What that means is a healthy respect for God. Like, I hate being the deliverer. I'm just the mailman, okay? I didn't write the book. Yes, it does mean a healthy respect for God. But it also means to be afraid of God. It means to be afraid of him. Jesus says to the disciples, don't be afraid of men who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can kill both the body and the soul and send it to hell. He's talking about God. It's a healthy fear but it's in a respect, but it's also being afraid. Like We're afraid of tsunamis. Tsunamis scare me to death. If I saw a tsunami coming, I would be extremely frightened. You know who created the oceans and the seas? Holds it in the palm of his hand? God. He can destroy all of us in this room in a heartbeat. There is an aspect of God that there's a healthy fear that's being, being afraid of God and understanding. When we understand that, all of a sudden, what Christ has done for us on the cross becomes extremely powerful. Like, Oh, Jesus died in my place. I know he's my substitute. Jesus died in my place. Wow. I should have been there experiencing that. Watch the passion of the Christ. That's scary, you guys. And it says that God did that to his son to save your soul and to save me. Here's what, here's what it says in Hebrews. It goes on, verse 28. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses 
So in the Old Testament, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Two witnesses come forward, you're stoned to death. Uh, when children disobey their parents, if a son continually disobeys their parents and will not repent, the elders take them out and stone him to death. That's what God commanded in the Old Testament. Thank God we're not living under that covenant anymore. But look what it says, verse 29. How much worse than that of a punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? What he's saying here is, no, in the New Testament, it's worse. It's literally what he's saying here. Is back then... You disobey your stone of death. Now, we have seen the Son of the living God bloody on a cross, being beaten in my place for my sins. I'm looking at that, and I walk off, and I sin. He's saying, how much worse of a punishment? You know better. You're sinning against the blood of the covenant of Christ that was given for you. You deserve a far worse punishment than anyone got in the Old Testament. That's what he's saying here. So, sin is more serious now It's more serious now than it was before Jesus died on the cross. The beautiful thing is, is that our sins are washed away and we're covered by his blood at a high, high price. Amen? See the sweetness there? When you understand both, it becomes this sweet and precious thing, the grace of God given to us. And he goes on, he just says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, an, of the living God. He goes on, the verse we looked at before worship today, it's Hebrews 12. Before that, he says this, in the Old Testament, God came down to give the, new, the Ten Commandments to the people. He told Moses, tell them to prepare themselves. He comes down and he speaks, and everyone's freaked out. And what they say is, well, that was really cool. I'm glad that God came close and we could hear his voice. But Moses, could you just go talk to him from now on for us? Just let us know what he says, because we are freaked out right now. That's literally what happened. So if you're just like, I wish I could just hear an audible voice of God, everything would be okay. It might not. You might be scared out of your mind. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight when Moses got the Ten Commandments. That Moses said, I tremble with fear, quotes. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to immeasurable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn whose names are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Then he says, so see to it that you do not refuse him, Christians, who are saved by the blood of Jesus, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that can be shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Then he says this, therefore, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. You notice the balance of what's going on in there. 
I think that we've lost this in the church, and I think that we, we tend to lose it easily in our personal lives because I know I do. It's this reminder, and that's what this story is to us, in the church of the living God, this reminder that sin is real and it's still an issue to God. And he still takes it very seriously. And there cannot be the unity that we read about and that we fantasize about in acts of being one in heart and spirit and sharing everything with each other. That cannot be there if there's unspoken sin in our midst. It's not going to happen. The Holy Spirit's just not going to overlook it. That's why confession is so important in the church. You've got to find someone to confess your sins to and to say, I have sinned against you personally, and I'm sorry. I have been doing this. I am sorry. Please, I know that God forgives me. Would you, would you forgive me? Would you help me? If we don't do that, if we don't take those steps, then we can't achieve the unity. We can't be filled to the Spirit to the level that God desires us to. We can't just be like, ah, that's okay. God forgives me. And okay, let's try to conjure up this being filled with the Spirit. And so let's sing some songs about it and ask for the Spirit to come fill us up. When there's sin in our life, you guys with me? It just can't happen. So God wants us to take our sin seriously. And where do we bring it? We bring it right here to the cross. That's why we have communion. This is the last passage. I'm not, it's going to take one minute, I promise. Yeah, please. This is a church we want to encourage people to speak as, you know, as you feel led in that direction. As you were sitting here and I was, I was looking at that passage, I'd say, that's hard, you know. Like I sit here and I'm like, gosh, I don't know if I like that. You know, like I don't know if I... If I can, what I'm supposed to do with that. But then I, I start thinking about it and, it, and it reminds me of the sanctity of the church. You know, it, it reminds me of, of how incredibly valuable this community of people are to a holy God. That in, in its initial stages, as, as this, this group of people that were meant to be the image bearers, they were meant to be the, the ones that were going to continue the covenant, they're meant to be the kind of the, the, the image of Christ in his absence to this earth. God cared so much about that and about the sanctity of that and about the bride that he was willing to kill two people in its initial start because of that. And I think for me that just speaks to the seriousness of this, the seriousness of sin inside of the church. You know, we, um, if you're doing that... Uh, the Bible study with your kids. Um, this past week we did uh, the covenant that God made with Abram. And, and remember when God took Abram up on the mountain, uh, and I think you talked through this not too long ago, and uh, they took uh, animals, they took four animals and cut them in half, and they laid them on each side. And, and that's how you would typically make a covenant is walking between these, this bloody mess saying that, you know, let this happen to me, you know, if I don't fulfill my end of this of this promise, and so God puts Abram to sleep, and God himself is the only one that walks through. He holds up his end of the promise. This is God in this passage saying that you are my people, and I care so much about you that I'm willing to do things like this to protect my bride, to protect the, the purity of the church. If God is willing to do that, how serious are we as a community of believers to walk in purity with one another? And to walk in holiness with one another, I think we tend to like just turn a blind eye, and it shows that we don't ultimately that we don't love one another like we should, you know. And so, I, for for me, it's it's just such a good reminder of of uh, what we're doing here, 
and, and why God has called us to be the people. Yeah. Yeah, and so you guys know, I don't like this. Like, I wish I didn't have to be the bearer of this message. I really don't. I'm just being honest with you. But this is who God is, and this is the reality of his word. And I think he has something for us, even this morning. I don't want to, I can't manipulate your emotions. I don't want to do that. I don't want to make you feel all sad and upset and, you know what I mean, manipulate through music. This has got to be something that comes from God, hits our hearts. And like I said, it's an act of obedience. Like, we got to make the first move. And so, I'll confess to you, I have sin in my life. And this is a beautiful opportunity to confess sin. So if, you, if you're feeling the weight of that this morning at any, t- at any moment, there might be another person that you feel like you've sinned against. If they're here, I just encourage you to walk over to them as we're singing and just confess your sins. Say, I'm sorry. Seek forgiveness. If there's someone you feel like, I need to say, I need, just need to tell someone this out loud. I need to confess a sin. You can do it right here. Let's not wait to go about our lives and go to lunch and, and then forget about it. Like, there's an opportunity to do this while we're singing today. You can, you can come. Uh, I'll be singing, but I'll drop my guitar if you come to me. Come. It's not that we're elders and we're more special than anyone else, um, but we are elders. And so if, if you feel like I just need someone I can trust, it's going to be confidential. Like, we can guarantee you we will hold it confidential. If you want to confess something to us, that's fine. Confess to Jesus first, because only he can forgive you and cleanse you. But if you feel like you need to do that, we're there for you. We'd love to do that. Monica's here. Um, Jamie as well. If you're a woman and you like to do that. I just want to, I'm just setting this up because I want you to know that this can happen here. If you just want to stand up and say it out loud, like, more power to you. Um, this is a place to release these things because we have an opportunity to, because God has provided a sacrifice on our behalf. And we can be set free this morning. Whatever you do, even if it's just silently in your heart, I want to take a few minutes as we prepare just to be silent before God. And this is just the passage I was going to read. Has anyone ever died in the church before because of their sin? The answer is yes. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking to them, verse 17, about the Lord's Supper. And he's basically saying that they shared a meal for their communion back then. It was a little different than we do now. This was like their meal together. So some of you are running forward and taking all the food and filling yourself up and others aren't getting any. And he's just like, what are, are we making a mockery of Christ's sacrifice? Like, you're going to run up and fill yourself up so that other people can't have any? He's talking about this in verse 18. He says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part that there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine uh, among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? He says, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. This is what we're doing. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat it and drink the, eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's why we're doing this. But then he says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. He says this, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. God's saying literally like people have died in the church. The reason is because of what they were doing here. And then this is what he says, and this is what I like to, us to meditate on as we sing and we approach communion. But if we, are ju- but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The, what he says in there is this. If we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. If Ananias and Sapphira had stopped at some point and said, you know what, this is not right. We, we should not be doing this. They would have not been judged in that way. If they had repented and not done that. We have an opportunity, and God's extended that to us, to judge ourselves. I'm asking you to judge yourself this morning. This is the invitation that's extended to all of us before we take communion, to stop, examine ourselves, and go, I'm not going to wait for God to judge me because God will judge sin. It's serious. That's what we've been talking about all day today. We can't hide from him. We can't lie to the Holy Spirit. And he wants us to come to him for our own good because what he desires is for us to be one and to be something that the world looks at and sees Christ. And then they're saved. And that can't happen when there's sin among, amongst us. So I just ask you, would you just close your eyes right now? We're going to prepare to sing, to take communion. When you're ready, the bread is up here, and the juice or the wine. Tear off a piece of the bread, which represents Christ's body. You dip it in the juice, which represents his blood, and you can take that. Christ offers forgiveness for those who trust in his sacrifice. But I just ask you to close your eyes with me right now, and every eye closed to help us focus, with your head bowed. And I just want you to think for a few moments of silence, where am I at with God? Examine yourself, judge yourself, judge your heart, and then ask God to do the same. And ask him that that we might be released and forgiven, even in this place today. I'll give you a few minutes just to do that. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at